Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, Pope Benedict memorably told us that the church does three essential things. It worships God, it evangelizes, and it cares for the poor. Everything else in the church's life, it, it falls under those headings. Worships God, it evangelizes, and it cares for the poor. And he further asserted, which I think is really interesting and important, that each one of these implies the other two. And, you know, I'll, I'll use a technical term here. An entire ecclesiology, that means a, a, a theology of the church, could be constructed on that basis, I think. If I were teaching ecclesiology, I'd begin with that. Three things that we do, and each one implies the other two. That's the whole life of the church. In other words, you can't really worship God without wanting to evangelize and without wanting to care for the poor. You can't really care for the poor without being led to evangelize, without being led back to the worship of God, etc. Right? Now, I'd say depending on historical circumstances, the church will tend to emphasize or bring to the fore one or other of these basic obligations. So look at our recent history, for example. Under the papacy of John Paul II, I'd say it's, it's fair to say that evangelization was emphasized. So all of his stress on the new evangelization, all of his preaching around the world. Under the papacy of Benedict XVI, I think it's fair to say that the worship of God took the prime position. All of, of Joseph Ratzinger's great books on liturgy and on prayer and on the Mass and then the way he brought that to the, to the fore when he was Pope. Does anyone doubt that now under the papacy of Pope Francis, concern for the poor has been brought to the fore, has become paramount? Now, just to stress it again, none of these is exclusive. So, I mean, John Paul II by no means ignored the poor or the liturgy. I mean, that's obvious if you look at his life. Benedict XVI by no means ignored the poor or evangelization, right? Each one implies the other two, but they tended to bring one of them to the fore. Okay. I'm sure you've heard the story that when the conclave of 2013 was finishing up and Jorge Mario Bergoglio was, was elected pope, his good friend, Cardinal Hummus, who was a, a cardinal from Brazil, came up to him and whispered into his ear, into the ear of the newly elected Pope Francis, don't forget the poor. And Francis has told that story many times. It obviously had a huge impact on him. And I think it's fair to say that the encouragement by Cardinal Hummus, don't forget the poor, has indeed made a huge difference in Francis's papacy. Remember very early on, he said he wanted a poor church for the poor. You know, he wanted the church to, to enter into the, into the mean streets where the poor live. He's frequently urged priests and bishops to move out of their 
comfort zones and into real contact with the poor. And, you know, and he's done that himself in, in remarkable ways. Now, in saying and doing all this, Pope Francis is far from a novelty. In fact, he's continuing an ancient and powerful tradition that's been present throughout the history of the church and stretches right back to the oldest strands of the biblical tradition. So let me just name a few key figures here that stand in this tradition of caring for the poor. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Vincent de Paul, Dorothy Day, Martin de Porres, Peter Claver, Francis of Assisi, John Chrysostom, Ambrose of Milan, all of these great figures were powerfully dedicated to the service of the poor. I mean, so from the beginning, this has been part of the church's life. And, as I said, this emphasis goes right back to the Bible. That's where it's coming from, ultimately. Which brings us to one of our readings for today. We're continuing to read from the extraordinary book of the prophet Amos. I mentioned last time, maybe of all of them, the great prophet of social justice. Prophesying at a time when Israel had reached a high level of affluence and power, he excoriates those who indulge in pleasure and luxury while many others go hungry. Listen. Woe to the complacent in Zion, lying on beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches, improvising to the music of the harp like David, they devise their own accompaniment. He then goes on rather deliciously here. They drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the best oils, yet they are not made ill by the collapse of Joseph. <laughs> I'm always struck by you know, I know it was kind of the custom of the time, but they're drinking wine out of bowls? I mean, this is some, some serious wine drinking going on. Obviously, what he's painting here is a rather striking picture of decadence, of self-indulgence, and, as the last reference makes clear, indifference to the suffering of others. He talks about the collapse of Joseph, and I think what he means there is the collapse of, of the northern tribes of Israel as they're under this uh, severe threat politically. And of course, in those days, we've sort of lost track of this, but in those days, especially, if you're, you're conquered politically, that meant people were just dying like mad because the, it interrupted the whole economic life. People didn't, didn't have food to eat. Uh, cities were under siege, et cetera, et cetera. So the collapse of, of the northern tribes meant a disaster for people. So instead of, in the language of Amos, being made ill by the collapse of Joseph, you know, so that you should be bothered by this. This should really get to you. Instead of that, you're sitting around <laughs> strumming harps and drinking wine out of bowls. Now, the parallel text to this, and that's why the church brings them together this way, is the gospel. And it's the devastating parable of Lazarus and Dives, we say. But that's interesting. Dives is just Latin for rich guy because the rich man is never named in the story, and that's important. Lazarus, the poor man, is named. 
But the rich man never is. We call them dives because that's the Latin divas for a rich person. Now, I've been hearing this parable since I was a little kid. And it's always bothered me. I don't know if that's true for you, the Catholics who've, and you know, non Catholics too, who know this parable and have been hearing it all, all your life. So, I mean, it's, I've been hearing it for, I don't know, 50 years. It's always bothered me. And I hope it's bothered you too. And don't expect me today, and again, I'm preaching to myself, everybody. Don't expect me to explain it away because it's meant to be unnerving. So, you know the story well. This rich man, again, never named, I'm quoting now from the parable, was dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. You know, purple in the ancient world was a sign of affluence because purple dye was very hard to come by. That's why uh, the Roman senators wore purple. So in our language, would be someone wearing, you know, the finest kind of Armani suit or something. You know, so the fine linen, the best, the best uh, uh, clothes, etc. And dining sumptuously each day. So especially in a society where it's, you know, it's so many people, and we take it for granted that, that most people thank God because of our advancements politically and economically. Most people... Uh, are eating adequately. But in the ancient world, a lot of people starving on a regular basis. And here's someone wearing the finest clothes and eating sumptuously every day. Then we hear lying by his door, I'm quoting now, is a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Now there we have it. Rich man's not named. The poor man is. Now, see, what's interesting there, everybody, is this is the, on purpose, it seems to me, the reversal of what's typical. Typically, we know the names of the rich and powerful. Now, historians tell their stories. They're famous. Their, their names are, are talked about. And it's the poor who are forgotten. What, what's this name? Like, think, of, think of homeless people maybe that you walk by every day. Any idea what their name is? They're all people that were, that were born of a family and they were, I'm sure, at least by some, you know, in their family cherished when they came into the world and they've, for different reasons, fallen on hard times. But do we even bother? Do we even imagine they have names? See how the parable is playing a little very interesting spiritual trick by purposely naming Lazarus and not naming uh, the rich man. So we hear Lazarus dies and is carried to the bosom of Abraham. It's a lovely ancient Jewish way of speaking of, of paradise or heaven. The rich man dies, and he's sent to the underworld, the place of suffering and rejection. Can't help but hear in this clear echo of Matthew 25, you know, the parable of, of the sheep and the goats, right? Those who, who go to punishment, those who uh, go to salvation. The clearest indicator in Matthew 25 of who goes to which side is precisely one's attitude toward an action on behalf of the poor. It wasn't those that said, Lord, Lord, not those who, who um, had faith in, in Jesus, but rather 
I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. Now enter into my father's house. What's the criterion for which way you go? Well, it's how you care for the poor. You know, let me go out on a limb here a little bit. There are indeed many types of sin, but I think it's fair to say the Bible puts a special premium on this one. Of, of all the sins, and the Bible knows about the whole range of sins, don't get me wrong, but if it puts a premium, it seems to me it's put on this sin of ignoring the poor among us. I think I've told you before, but it, of course, always leaps to my mind in this context. Uh, Cardinal George, one of my great mentors, one time speaking to a group of wealthy donors in Chicago to you know thank them, which indeed he did. But then he said this, and, and he's, he's echoing the Bible, the prophets, the, the church fathers. He said, the poor need you to stay out of poverty. So thank God for you, for your donations. Thank you. The poor need you to stay out of poverty. But you need the poor to stay out of hell, <laughs> said Cardinal George. Pretty good. Pretty good. How's it end? The rich man begs Father Abraham to send Lazarus to warn the rich man's brothers. Abraham says, blithely enough, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Whom is he referencing here, everybody? Well, among many others, he's referencing the prophet Amos, whom we just heard from. If we say on that terrible day, Oh, Lord, I, we didn't know. We didn't know about this. Come on, he will say. All your lives, you've heard from the prophets. You've heard Matthew 25. You've heard this parable. What's the conclusion? And again, everybody, I'm preaching to me as much as to you. The conclusion is, be converted now. Do something for the poor now. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.